Welcome to Embrace Your Brain with Dr. D. Joy Coulter. These short weekly brain bits give you fresh glimpses into how your mind works and how to develop its natural brilliance. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic is why turning seven is huge. We've been talking about how the brain creates networks to organize patterns around what we experience. And these networks act like lenses that get polished over time if we practice noticing those patterns. So we go on to become experts at one thing or another. We get really in tune to things. But when does this lens making actually begin? Some researchers are trying to learn what kinds of patterns are created before birth. We do know for sure that three-day-old newborns are able to create patterns. We've seen it. We can put the breast pad of a mother on one side of the baby's head, and the breast pad of another mother on the other side of that baby's head, and it will always turn to its own mother's breast pad. It connects that scent with its mother. It's already creating a lens. But here's what's odd. Our brains are making these early connections for us, and they don't involve our conscious thinking at all. Even young children before about the age of seven aren't yet aware of the lens building process. They can remember experiences, even bad ones, like, whoa, that's an unfriendly dog. But that's not the same as thinking about how to tell if a dog is going to be friendly or not. We could take block stacking, for instance. There's something about blocks that demand to be stacked. So a little child will see the blocks, and they're drawn to stacking them. But the child's not thinking, ah, blacks, I know what I can do with them. I can stack them. Their brains are triggering this stacking urge for them. But at age seven, learning goes from this automatic pattern to reason, from kind of a memorizing to making sense of things. And it's really all about the lens-making process. So suddenly, they realize, and I don't know if you can remember when this hit you, they realize that their minds are doing the thinking, that they can start gathering bits of information together, they can build little block towers of thought in their minds and figure things out. So they get the feeling that, you know, I can figure out my world. And if all goes really well at this very fragile age, learning really takes off. But their confidence is quite fragile. If these new block towers of their thoughts get knocked down right then, it can be devastating. So what can do that? What I've found is that if at age seven somebody is experiencing devastating experiences at school, their family is breaking up, they're moving and uprooting themselves, somebody dies, they can be so shocked that it's as if they feel the world is saying, you think you have us figured out? Watch this. And they give up. They're devastated at the fact that they can't make sense out of the world after all. They can make huge life decisions at this point if we're not careful. They could decide that no one can be trusted with their thoughts and they become withdrawn and depressed. They could become driven to learn so much that no one will ever put them down again. They just want to be the experts. That's not much fun. Or they can decide life simply isn't predictable, so why bother learning or caring about what happens at all? As parents, 
we wouldn't want them to make any of those choices. What we want for our dear seven-year-olds is to preserve their newfound love of thinking and to continue to help them care for others. So how are we going to help them preserve their love of thinking, even if there are upheavals that we can't do much about? The first thing we can do is show real interest in their thinking and honor their ideas. It could be tempting to joke about what they said and tell other people as if it was funny. This hurts them. Listen to them. Don't give your own thoughts on top of theirs or dismiss their thoughts. Explore things together. Work with plants, teach the family pet a new trick, work on simple tasks like cooking, figuring things out if, if they're broken, going out in nature and seeing what the critters are doing. You can also help them continue to care for others through this huge change. But knowing that they're fragile, what's real is that they could give up on caring at this point if they feel helpless to do anything about the problems because now they're really into if this, then that, I get it, I can fix things. And if they experience feelings of pain and suffering and can't do anything about it, this is really dangerous. We have two different words, empathy and compassion. We could say they both mean caring. That's how they're alike. But how they're different is that empathy is just where we feel the suffering of others. And our little children can feel the suffering easily. Compassion is where we act to make things better. What we've discovered is that empathy alone is not enough and will lead to depression and a sense of helplessness very quickly. We have to support our child's ability to act. They have an urge to act. We want to honor that and turn their caring into a response. It's almost like they have to become little forces for good at home, at school, in the community. We have to look for ways for them to make gestures that can make small differences every chance we get. If you're enjoying these podcasts, I hope you'll share them with friends. And please visit us at EmbraceYourBrain.com to check out some really great resources.